you're listening to the B Fox and B Frank show. And if there was any remaining doubt, it turns out that Georgia is really, really, really good at football. Uh, they have won the last two national titles, but still, for some reason, have, have kind of just been sitting on the outskirts of uh, the national periphery this season. Um, that meaning just not number one in the, the playoff rankings. You can look at kind of the schedule they've played and understand how they've gotten there. But I, I think anyone would tell you Georgia is the, the favorite to win the third straight national title. Um, and if there is any doubts, beating up on Ole Miss 52-17 on Saturday has to put those to bed. That's a legitimate opponent that Georgia just never really gave a chance. Um, and it's it's really just putting the rest of the country on notice, it felt like. Yeah, this is the coming out party, uh, what, 10 weeks into the season, 11 yeah, weeks yeah. into the season. It's so a it's, tale as old as time. Uh, really good game overall for Georgia on both sides of the ball. Looked like we we may be destined for a, a bit of a shootout in that first quarter. And like you said, Georgia put that to bed very quickly. Uh, I remember I remember watching this game at a, a, a party on Saturday and everyone saying, oh, let's buckle up. Like, this is going to be a good one. And then Georgia scored. And then Georgia scored. And everyone's like, okay, never mind. Maybe we should go flip to, to something more competitive. Because in the blink of an eye, this game was over. Yeah, I mean, Georgia averaged 10 yards a snap in this game. Um, so I tweet today, I forget from who, but talking to an Ole Miss staffer, he's like, no one even touched Carson Buck, the defense. Yeah. Just had all day to throw. Um, Kendall Milton had a great game too. Brock Bowers returned, didn't have a huge game, but it didn't matter. And like that really tells you everything you need to know. Um, it's just Georgia is not reliant on him. He is a hell of a player, but this offense can – can really get cooking even without him. And yeah, it's just seemed to, as the season's gone along, the offense seems to have gotten more explosive. Um, and, and it's really speaking at the right time that you almost forget that the defense really limited what is a very talented um, Ole Miss offense. I mean, Jackson Dart barely broke 100 yards in this game. Um, it was, yeah, just complete domination. And uh, yeah, turns out Georgia's good. They are. they are. And we got to see an old friend, Spencer Sanders, take a couple of yeah. snaps. And, and it was evident or it was very clear why he is the backup quarterback after yeah. a few of those plays. There was a football team that could have used him on Saturday. Uh, there was. I will, I will say that. Uh, elsewhere, we had uh, Michigan, Penn State. This was uh, this was not an aesthetically pleasing football game. It was it could have been played like. 70 years ago you really mm-hmm. wouldn't have known the difference not a, not a lot of uh doing what has been become known as the forward pass um winning quarterback seven of eight for 60 yards efficient but but nothing special and it was really just the evolution of michigan football over the last um you know three years or so not from a sign ceiling perspective but more just Jim Harbaugh getting back to basics. We're going to be a tough football team. We're going to run it down your throats. That is what they did for two and a half quarters, the last two and a half quarters of the, the, uh, the game. And Penn State came into the game as the number one rushing defense in America. Just looked helpless out there. I mean, it it's a testament to Michigan for sure. 
But it is such a massive fuck you to Penn State, who is a team that should be competing with the likes of Michigan and Ohio State when you can run the ball literally the entire second half and still win the game comfortably. Like I, I still don't believe there was any moment in this game that Michigan doubted they could win. It, it was closest early on, and you know Penn State actually scored a touchdown and during competitive time in this game, unlike uh, what they did against Ohio State. Naturally, James Franklin still finds a way to fuck that up by going for two. In a, it, absolutely no reason to do it, but again, we'll we'll talk about that later. But this game personified Michigan football. It was a huge middle finger to Penn State and the hundred and ten thousand fans that were in Beaver Stadium for this game. And there was at no point in this ball game that looked like Penn State could win or even compete with Michigan. Yeah, and like we we kept waiting for the offense to take off, be a little more explosive once they kind of face the step up in competition. Never happens. Now another offensive coordinator is out of a job under James Franklin, um, and now his next hire will be his sixth offensive coordinator since he started. Um, to be fair, two were hired uh, at better jobs um, moving up, uh, like your Joe Moorheads, but that's that's three now that have been fired. At some points, the question needs to be asked, um, what is the common denominator in all of this? Um, but should should Penn State really be aiming that much higher? Um, and I, I ask that to mean, like, is this a, like, Bo Pelini at Nebraska, careful what you wish for? It's like, James Franklin gives you a pretty high floor. The ceiling is not much higher than that. Um, yeah. Should they just kind of be happy with what they have? Um, can Aspire maybe be a little better offensively, um, see if they get this coordinator right, um, which is a big if. But other than that, seen a lot of belly aching about James Franklin online. It's like, is that warranted? Yeah, I don't know. It's hard because I was talking about this with my dad this weekend, and we were like, well, they're not even, what, 15 years removed from the Sandusky like death penalty? Yeah. And they are competing for Big Ten titles. They are tangentially or, you know, on the periphery of the playoff conversation. Like they they are in the argument, but then when the games are played, they they're clearly not there. This is a team that is fighting for a playoff spot next year, though. Like yeah. in this year's current rendition, because it's four teams, they're not. But next season, I think that that almost saves James Franklin in a way because it takes the pressure off really having to beat Michigan and Ohio State, which he literally never does. So nothing has to change there. He really just has to continue to win the games that are on the rest of the schedule because I don't see a world in which a 10 and 2 or 11 and 2 Penn State team is left out of a 12 team playoff. Obviously, that depends a lot on what happens in the rest of the Big Ten. Uh, but if they go out and they play one decently good team in in the non-conference, I think they're they're up there at least in the conversation every year. Theoretically, the Big Ten schedule should get easier because you won't have to play Penn right. State and Michigan every year. Some years you will have to play, you know, Oregon, USC, um, Washington, UCLA. Depending on the year, like Oregon will probably yeah. be pretty solid most years. Um, but you could pick them off. Like they they could pick off USC. Um, and and have before, but yeah, it's I I think definitely to your point. Next year, the playoff is really going to change how 
overall seasons are viewed as a success or failure because right now it's basically national championship or bust. Um, right. You can be like a Cincinnati and just be happy to make the playoff. But other than that, like, you know, Ohio State's not really celebrating last season. Michigan certainly isn't. Um, I mean, yeah. maybe TCU, but even the way the season ended the last games, like, not super thrilled mm-hmm. about that. Um, yeah. So once it expands to 12, you'll still have those same teams like Georgia, Alabama, Michigan, Ohio State. Like programs like that will still kind of view it as a national championship or bust. But you have a team like Penn State or, you know, before this weekend, and we'll talk about it, like in Oklahoma State, where if you can at least get into that field, maybe you win a game, maybe you don't, but you can still, I don't know if people will hang banners or what they do for for playoff appearances, but uh, ju- just getting in the field and kind of establishing yourself, like there, there's going to be bonuses tied to these things for coaches. It'll it'll help yeah. extend tenures, and I mean that's that's something that fan bases will be happy about, especially ones like Penn State that haven't been a part of the 14 playoff. Um, like James Franklin can get you in the 12 team field. So yeah, yeah, that's. That's kind of where I'm at on it. But I understand being a part of the fan base, you're probably not thrilled. Um, just kind of yeah. no-showing all these big games. They were booing loudly for, for a yeah. vast majority of that second half. And I, I don't blame <laughs> them because they played they they played Iowa football. That's what they did against Michigan. And that never works. So, you know, if you want to play Iowa football, I know a coordinator on the offensive side of the ball that knows Iowa football very well that is available. So go give him a call. I did like that the stadium basically bullied him into going for it on fourth. Yes. A couple of times. That was really funny. The slowest motion throwback pass uh, to the yes. quarterback. Um, all right. Um, elsewhere, Washington narrowly holds off Utah. Tale of two halves, really. Um, 28-24 Utah at the break. Um, and then it was just 11 nothing Washington in the second half. Should have been more. Um, this This is one that I think will be held against Washington. It should have been, you know, a a two-score finish at minimum, but we still see people out there affected by the Deshaun Jackson syndrome. I thought we were past this. Um, dropping, dropping would-be touchdowns well short of the goal line, um, as yeah. Washington did on a, a late pick six. Um, I mean, pretty impressed by Utah for the most part. Certainly the first half, really strong offensive showing. Um but obviously Barnes just kind of fell off a cliff after the first half and uh, Washington just, just kind of stayed the course. Um, but this, this feels like the kind of football games we've seen from the Huskies over the last you know month or so, closer than people would like. But at the end of the day, really hard to find too much fault with it, given how improved they were in the second half. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with everything you said there. I, I mean, Utah showed us a different wrinkle. They could win the game throwing the ball, and and they were doing that well in the first half. Uh, the run game really didn't show up, so that's a credit to Washington's defense for being able to stop that and really force Bryson Barnes to be a thrower, uh, a passer at, at quarterback, instead of just kind of relying on the run game to do everything. Uh, defense, again, like, it... <laughs> It won't happen, but Kyle Whittingham deserves to be in the coach of the year conversation, whether it's in the Pac-12 or nationally. Obviously, that that award is probably going to go to Norvell or Kalen DeBoer, depending on if one or both of them finishes the season undefeated. I just don't see uh, any way that those two guys don't get it at this point unless they really collapse down the stretch. But 
what Kyle Whittingham has done with a walk-on quarterback injuries at running back so far that they have to put a defensive back at running back uh, and all these issues still being competitive and still winning games in a the best rendition of the Pac-12 in at least a decade is is remarkable but Washington like you said could have had more should have had more I still think Utah's a very good team. Like, I don't penalize Washington for not winning this game by more because I still think Utah is very good. And if you put them in a Big Ten West, they dominate. If you put them in the ACC, they are very clearly the second best team in that conference. If you put them in the Big 12, they can compete with the bigger teams. So I I just, I find it hard to, to hold, an, hold anything against Washington here, but I'm sure that's what we'll see. Yeah, I, I mean, Utah would win the Pac-12 most of the last five seasons, even with an injury list as long as it is. Um, but it's just, it is it's a much better league this year. Um, but this is just kind of, they're, they're scraping the climb and they're, they're still, right. Kyle Winningham still getting much more out of this team than, than most other coaches in the country would be able to. But yeah, Washington also very good at football. Um, so just coming up short there. Um, Kind of a, a game that would have uh, pretty massive implications next year uh, for for the playoff, Missouri and Tennessee. Um, two teams kind of hanging out around the top 15, looking for a big win to propel themselves into that projected playoff field. Um, too little, too late this year. But Missouri just making a huge statement in this one. Blowout, complete control, 36-7 the final. Um, I mean, just really unexpected on my end for it to be this this wide of a margin. Um, I thought this was going to be a very competitive game, but Missouri just complete control, and you gotta you gotta tip your hat to them. Yeah, this this felt like an evenly matched game, definitely a, a strength on strength start uh, type game. But Missouri finally showed up in a big one. This is what they needed. They finally get that that key win, eight and two. They have a very uh, good chance to finish second in the east because because no one's winning or georgia's already clinched excuse me and florida and arkansas those are two very winnable games they can get to 10 wins on the season maybe even 11 if they uh can get the bowl game so that's a really great year for eli Drinkwitz. yeah and i mean trader for for missouri just all-time game over 200 yards on the ground over 100 in the air only the 10th time or receiving, I guess, only the 10th time that's ever been done. Um, and just Tennessee as a whole, really good rushing offense coming into this game, only 83 yards as a team. Um, so, I mean, Missouri just took away what what Tennessee likes to do. Joe Milton, as we know, really not able to win games 100% on his own. He needs, needs some good supporting complimentary football, and that's just – not what we got here today from Missouri. Yeah, very uh, Lawrence Maroney type effort from Schrader. If I can uh, pull an old throwback name, just carrying the offense on yeah. his own. Yeah, as uh, I remember when Minnesota used to be good at football. Those were those were special times. Uh, all right, so we are we are at the the good, the bad, and the ugly. I will I will let you start. What was your good from this weekend i want to say the the sec quarterbacks had a huge weekend obviously the guys at the top Jaden daniels had a monster game for lsu 
Jalen Milrow, three touchdown passes through the air, three on the ground. Uh, first time in Alabama history that that happened. Carson Beck had a big game. And a guy named Spencer Rattler, I don't know if you remember him, almost 350 yards through the air and a couple touchdowns. He had a nice game. So SEC quarterbacks really were able to uh, to air it out and, and do some damage on the ground, as we saw with Daniels and Milrow. That is a question mark, more or less, coming into the season, uh, with the exception of Daniels returning. It's a lot of, a lot of new faces. Didn't really know what we would see. I, I also had Jalen Milrow um, as my good three rushing, three passing touchdowns. Will do that. I had Jaden Daniels as the best thing I saw this weekend because that was yeah. just an incredible performance. Um, I mean, just over six hundred yards of offense for him and five touchdowns. He is going to continue to be penalized by this defense. He should be the Heisman front runner right now. Um, it's it's going to be very close and, and kind of down to the wire, but I think at minimum we're probably not going to have it be best player on the best team um, because you know Penix, Knicks, Daniels are all outside the top four right now. But I just this is relitigating thing that something that isn't currently happening, but I just hate over the last however many years it's just become best player on the yeah. best team, which it should not be. Um, and the counter arguments, anyways, here is like, well, you know, that's not too different than MVPs. The Angels rack up MVPs and they never sniff the playoffs. Like that's yes. just not true. Like what college football is doing is is not not good and just. It's disingenuous. It, like if we were truly looking for the best player, like stop treating quarterback wins like they're a stat when everyone with the brain agrees that they are not. Um, I, I think Jane Daniels, what he's doing this season is incredible. Um, his defense is atrocious and that gets held against him for some reason. So just want to ask that that not be the case. Should he continue this remarkable run of play? Yeah, and even flip the question, where is LSU right now if they don't have Jaden Daniels? I mean, we've seen him go out of a couple Dead. games with injuries. But they they maybe have two wins, maybe three. Like, they are a, an insanely different team without him on the field. You could argue he has a he's had a higher hill to climb than Caleb Williams this year, and he is climbing yeah. it better. Um, he is unquestionably playing better football. Um, and, yeah, it's... It is not easy like to go into every game knowing that like I have to do that. Like what I'm doing is right. incredible, but I have to do this or it, it is not going to end well. Um, so USC LSU bowl game. That is what we're praying for right now. Over, over under like 90. <laughs> and it'll hit the over but, by yeah, half time. I mean, you got to you got to hammer the over. Um, all right. Um, I'll, I'll go for my my bad. Um Oklahoma State's Big 12 title hopes are, yep. uh, are looking worse. Um, it, was, it was a rainy game, um, weather obviously a factor here, but you know who should be okay in the rain? The nation's best running back, but UCF still bottled up. Uh, Ollie Gordon, only 25 yards on 12 carries with a, a fumble, got outgained by over 300 yards of offense by the Gus bus. Now... They are back into a four-way tie for seconds, and UCF is is not really a team that you should be losing to, let alone by 42. Um, the the brand's new Big 12 teams have really, really struggled. Um, this is their biggest win by a mile um, yeah. for anybody. But yeah, this is 
especially deflating with how the team has built momentum over the last five weeks. Um, just really, really surprising result from that perspective. Just a, a couple surprising games throughout the season for this Oklahoma State team have really or will really set them back. Um, this is the Alan Bowman we we knew. This is the guy we'd seen before. Three interceptions, really uh, sloppy with the ball. Just overall, a horrible game for Oklahoma State. I mean, it, it it felt inevitable that there was going to be some sort of letdown after just the emotional and and massive late win over Oklahoma and possibly the last bedlam ever. But something like this, I mean, you you can account for a lot of things, but this never popped on my radar as something that I expected to see happen. Uh, no matter what kind of letdown there was, going into the halftime breakdown 24 nothing, really only getting one offensive or two offensive possessions going where they had a chance to, to put points on the board, it was just truly ugly all around. I get at a certain point you're chasing points, but at the same time, this was reminiscent of Notre Dame, NC State, where Brian Kelly just would not stop throwing the ball in a monsoon. It's like... Mm-hmm. You have the you have the nation's best rusher, and we're going to let Alan Bowman throw it thirty six times. Like yeah. UCF had much better balance, much better success. RJ Harvey was a menace on the ground, over two hundred yards. Um, it also helps that uh, Reese Plumley can run; is a threat with his legs as well, and, and Bowman really is not. Um, but yeah, just perfect storm, literally and figuratively. Uh, what was, what was your bed? That was it as well. Was it? <laughs> All right. Um, ugly, uh, it's, it's an ugly situation at, uh, the Texas A&M university. Mm-hmm. Jimbo Fisher is out and, uh, he's made a lot of money. He's got a lot of money owed to him still. Um, but yeah. I do love that uh, I, I think I think several programs just forgot this is not the, the last week of the season. Um, yeah, Boise State fired their coach. Jimbo beats Mississippi State by forty-one points and is promptly fired, which is just hilarious to me um, as a human. But finishes uh, forty-five and twenty-five in five-plus years. The high water mark. One New Year's Six bowl that they won. Um, for comparison. They dropped $100 million after the previous coach went 51 and 26 in six years, which I will save you the trouble is a better record. Um, shout out our boy Kevin Sumlin, but the king. Um, AM just, just rolling in oil money. Um, this, is, this, this is no problem for them. But again, it begs the question like, I, I get that in that part of the country, football is life but why why are AM's aspirations truly this high like it does not it does not seem to yeah. be realistic just looking at the program historically um they they have had a every so often maybe once a decade um or, or every 15 years like you'll have an electric team um you know johnny football and mike evans or the aforementioned jimbo team that ended up uh, fourth in the polls but to kind of have that expectation every year, especially when you're in the SEC, um, where you're going to have to get by Alabama, Georgia, LSU, most years are going to be right around that top five. Like similar thing as Penn State, and I think Penn State realistically has 
a much better claim to this because they're getting double digit wins pretty much every year. AM is not. Mm-hmm. Not a Jimbo de- uh, defender. Um, I think it's hilarious that he got fired after winning by 41, but AM as a just entity, what is going on here? I, I don't I don't understand just kind of the general expectations for the football program. I'm 100% fine with firing Jimbo, but just in terms of how people talk about it um, that are from there, I'm, I'm not really wrapping my head around why the expectations are so high every single year. They recruit well, yep. but everyone in the SEC recruits well. Right. It, it's Nebraska, right? I mean, it's the same idea. Nebraska at least had that yeah there's history great run yeah Yeah, there's history for nebraska a&m like you said is i don't want to say flash in the pan teams because i think that's disrespectful to those actual players and i love mike evans and johnny manzel like that is that was really fun team yeah that is one of the most fun teams ever that is like quintessential college football that's what you want you want a team that runs and guns and just has two or three really good players that they rely on uh and they say we're gonna score 50 points, you need to score 51. And that's how we're going to play every single game. It is concerning. I I think that the expectation or the goals that Texas A&M sets aren't realistic given the fact that they made the move to the SEC, especially because they are in the West. Like you will have to play Alabama. You will have to play LSU. You will have to play Auburn. And those are teams, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, like All of those teams cyclically have done well. And then obviously Alabama has been there at the top for quite a while now with Nick Saban. Joining the SEC feels like a fool's errand. Like it feels like a huge mistake because they could have stayed in the Big 12, Oklahoma and Texas move. And now who would you point to as the premier program in the Big 12 in terms of football? Like there there is a gap. We've talked about this. There is a, a gap at the top. And Texas A&M could have filled that void very nicely and given themselves an automatic playoff berth if they just continue to recruit at this level. I think it's it's not a secret that winning in the Big 12 is easier than winning in the SEC. Like it, it, it just feels like those two things don't go together with what they're saying. So, yes, we move to the SEC because the competition's better. There's better money. You can recruit better, things like that. But if your goals are truly to compete for a national championship, shouldn't you give yourself a better opportunity to do that by staying in whatever lane granted. And I know this is revisionist history, but all of these decisions were made before the playoff system came out before the expansion of the playoff system came out and things like that. But if that's your goal to compete for championships and, you know, conference and uh, national championships, wouldn't you go to the path of least resistance? Yeah. I mean, you would, you would think you would think, but the the money is is really talking uh, people here now. Texas is following A and M, so they're gonna keep whooping them, um, even though A and M tried to get away. But it's like Kevin Sumlin has the only double digit win season in the last twenty five years. Like A and M, like um, like Penn State is pissed off at James Franklin. He still will get you know ten wins a year, and lose to Ohio State and Michigan. Um, yeah. So like. I don't know that I think college football more than any anywhere else is just like fans always kind of want that next step. And, and it's not, not always realistic, like realistically, A&M 
again, this sounds like a nag, but if you could, if you could have like Iowa's consistently of getting, uh, you know, seven to nine wins every single year without fail, you should probably take that uh, without hesitation. But yeah, yeah, it's uh, we'll we'll see what the next move is. I'm sure they're gonna pay somebody a shit ton of money. Um, so with another massive buyout, could be yeah, could be a pretty big name, but. Yeah, I hopefully someone with a better record, uh, track record than Chimbo, and not just one year. Jameis Winston was unstoppable. Yeah. Uh, was that yours as well, or did you have a, a different ugly? No, I, we we talked about this already, so I'll just I'll mention it quickly. But James Franklin against the top of the Big Ten is yeah. just ugly, plain and yeah. simple. Not uh, not necessarily a fair fight. Um, yeah, did and, you, I? Jaden Daniels for me. We talked about. It. Did you have anything else for uh, best thing you saw overall from the weekend? So I did have the end of the Jimbo era as the best thing I saw. <laughs> uh, I'd never celebrate a man losing his job. I'm simply celebrating the concept of it, the idea. I would also, if we want to throw something else out there, I would also sh- throw uh, Sharon Moore's post game press conference in there following the the Michigan win over Penn State. Forgetting he's on live TV, dropping multiple f bombs, crying. It was one of the greatest uh, like interim assistant coach fill-in uh, speeches or, or post-game interviews you could ever give. It was truly remarkable. A-plus, no notes on that. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, for, as far as Jimbo's concerned, like, let's also not forget the man's getting like $77 million to not work. So... Yeah, we're we're allowed to have fun with it. He's yeah, he'll, he'll be okay. Um, I saw I saw some. I think it was a couple A and M accounts that were kind of that were like trying to spin that having to pay Jimbo almost a hundred million not to coach isn't that bad because they only really need thirty million dollars to pay him this year, and then they just have to come up with the incremental money every year to do it. It's not like they need the hundred million right now. That's true. I I mean that that is ridiculous, but it's not super far off from the truth like they did just get yeah. a massive uh donation from the boosters that was basically like uh we see what's coming like this is gonna be jimbo's buyout money but mm-hmm. yeah like any buyout number you hear um is just like that should never really dissuade you in college athletics from getting rid of a coach should they deserve it like you will find right. the money colorado did not have the money to hire dion when they hired him they have found it. Like this yeah. is people. If you if you believe in the program and take steps to improve, um, you know, looking at certain football programs in Southern Indiana, like you will find money from donations to you know help with whatever buyout you need. Um, that's that's really just kind of the the weakest excuse you can you can possibly give everyone. If you believe in the program, the fans will believe in it and you know help you out financially. Yeah. But yeah, that's uh, that's gonna be fun for AM. Um, I mean, it's again, there's a lot of oil money coming in, but it's it is just a, a staggering number to look at. To it is like not coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, favorite upset of the weekend. What do you have for last week? I'm going Texas Tech over Kansas. I think for for a couple reasons. This is a great win for Texas Tech. It's on the road. Uh, Kansas had been playing very well. I know Bean got hurt in this game. Uh, I was kind of flipping between a couple of the games, so I didn't see if he was able to fit. No, he was he was out early. Uh, yeah, so yeah, we got, got Cole hurt. Ballard. Um, 
I saw him get knocked out, and then I didn't really see too much after that. Uh, Taj Brooks had a great game on the ground. They won it their way, and that's that's the biggest thing. You know, Kansas is is down offensively in terms of just what they have available to them at the quarterback position. They really turned into a one-dimensional team with the run game, and for the most part, Texas Tech's defense was able to contain them. A- and credit to the Red Raiders, they they went on the road. Kansas. Isn't the toughest place to play in the world, but it is certainly getting tougher, uh, and they got a big win. Yeah, that, I mean, Texas Tech has just kind of been scrapping in the uh, the Joey McGuire era. Um, no, no real big successes, but they've always just kind of been close. And I mean, yeah, granted, there's the the injury aspect, Jason Bean, but I mean, this was a a Kansas team that was rolling. I mean two back-to-back pretty good wins over TCU last week and then uh, Kansas this week. So, yeah, good uh, good defensive showing, slowing down that that Jayhawk run game and just a win away from bowling now um, with UCF uh, this week. We'll see if UCF comes back down to earth. There's no – I will say it right now, there is no way that Texas Tech loses this game by 42 points. Yeah, I will. winner goes bowling. This is a big game. Yeah. Um, I, I believe, I believe McGuire has not been to a bowl yet in his tenure. Is that right? Sounds um, right. So this would, yeah, I, I feel like they were, yeah. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to believe that's correct. Um, so this would, this would mean a lot to him obviously. And, uh, just kind of get Texas tech back closer and closer to, to respectability. Um, so yeah, it's a big win. Um, I'm going uh, back to the well for one I've, I've shouted out before this season. Um, it's, it's the original us against the world. Um, not actually original, but original for me this season. Um, it's the Northwestern Wildcats. Going into Camp Randall, beating Wisconsin by two touchdowns. Improbably, they also are one win away from bull eligibility with a home game against Purdue and a road game against Illinois on the docket. I thought in the preseason, this was like sealing a two and 10 team maybe. Um, but yeah, Ben Bryant's done just enough most weeks. Um, it's like, it's, it's very clearly like a, a team that was made in, in Pat Fitzgerald's image. Um, just trying to, to limit the number of mistakes. They're not going to, you know, do too many uh, things that could be classified as explosive, but just kind of wear you down over the course of the football game. Wisconsin, obviously not in great shape. Um, some injuries they're dealing with, but still eight or nine point favorites coming into this one. And you wouldn't, you wouldn't have had any idea watching the game. Um, so big win for Northwestern again, would be pretty nuts if they were able to uh, get to a bowl game this year. Yeah. Would love to see it. They, uh, they open the season with a bang, that's for sure, and then finally won a game on U.S. soil against UTEP, and then uh, from there they've really, really taken off. But this is—it's interesting. It'll be fun, interesting, fun, whatever you, whichever side of the coin you fall on, depending on if you're a Wisconsin fan or not, to see how Luke Fickle attacks this offseason because of the massive deficiencies he has found on this team this year. I mean, obviously, quarterback is number one priority because they—they they desperately need somebody, but. Uh, just having more skill position players that are effective and can change a game is is a huge need as well. And then defensively, they have really struggled uh, in certain areas. Granted, some some are injuries, but 
they need to get more dynamic on the, the defensive front. Yeah, they, they just they need to recruit at a not Wisconsin level. So right. if a Tanner Mordecai goes down, you're not just completely screwed. Um, yeah. Among other position groups. But yeah, fun times. Sometimes it takes time to uh, improve a program, turns out. Um, I know a lot of people were expecting year one, we might see a, a vastly different Wisconsin team. Mm-hmm. Some things are gradual. Um, all right, so we've got three ranked-unranked matchups this week, one in the south, two out west. Um, Georgia at Tennessee. I mean, Georgia blew out Ole Miss. Tennessee got blown out. We talked about that. I really I, – I know Tennessee will be juiced up at home for this one, but yeah, I'm, I'm having a hard time um, seeing them keep this one close. What are you, what are you thinking here? I'm thinking the same. I think Neyland will be rocking. It'll be a fun atmosphere, a fun environment for a little bit. But if Georgia plays anywhere near the the way they did this past weekend, I think this one could be in a similar vein and be over uh, quicker than than most of us would like. So I'm going to take Georgia big. I I will as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, it it won't be like it could be like last week. I don't know. <laughs> but I want to I want to give Tennessee a, a tiny bump um, being at home. But yeah, yeah, I just I don't I don't think it'll be enough to to make up. Uh, all right, Washington, Oregon State. This is probably the game of the weekend. Um, Oregon State has really battled back. Um, the ranks after uh, some earlier stumbles and as we've kind of identified they are a pretty hard-nosed football scene that should give Washington some challenges with its physicality like this year they are basically a better version of Oregon just due to basically all of the injuries that are uh, sorry better version of Utah just due to the all the injuries that that Utah has kind of been dealing with Um, you know obviously the they stumble a few weeks ago against Arizona, but Arizona has just been rolling through everyone. So not really going to hold that against them too much. Who do you like here? I'm going to take Washington. I think this is going to be a very close game. Oregon State's coming off. I think their biggest Pac-12 win ever. Um, I, I don't remember the exact stat, but this is... Uh, they they won 62-17 over Stanford last week. Absolutely dominant. I think the defense for Washington can force Oregon State into too many situations where the Beavers need DJ to make a play, and I still don't know how comfortable he is doing that. I, I know the run game has been great for Oregon State this season. Uh, they've had Damian Martinez really rush it well. Deshaun Fenwick's been a nice change of pace back for them. Uh, but DJ has has controlled the ball well, but he hasn't necessarily had to make too many plays with his arm. Uh, he's still completing less than 60% of his passes. So I think DeBoer gets his guys ready. I think Penix is fired up because this is this is the season right here. This is their biggest game right now. Um, that's no disrespect to Washington State coming up, but that is just that's where they're at right now. This this gives them uh the inside track, the 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 chance for the playoff. And I think this is a, a game where we really see Michael Penix put his stamp down on the season. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's really a shame that uh, 
that Oregon State has dropped two games that, I mean, yeah, could be winnable because you finish with Washington, Oregon back to back. If you just keep winning out and win the Pac-12, like you'd yeah. be in the playoff, uh, which is quite the what if um, for you know one of the future Pac-2 schools. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, I'm I'm kind of with you. I I like Washington here. I, I think it'll be a close one as well, but. Yeah, Oregon State has has not really been a huge passing team this year, and that seems to be what what Utah was taking advantage of last week um, before the necessary adjustments were made at halftime by Washington. Um, right. So I gotta I gotta keep rolling with Penix and DeVore here as well. Uh, finally, we've got Utah. We've got Arizona. Arizona narrowly escaping against Coach Prime in Colorado. Utah, obviously. Coming up just short against Washington, going on the road here. Who do you think is going to win? I'm thinking Utah. I'm going against Arizona for the first time in in a while. Um, I think this is going to be a great game. This could end up being the best game of the entire weekend. They match up really nicely, and this is this is a chance for Arizona to make a statement, like a true statement that they're not just this this team that got hot. They are a team that can get hot and stay consistently. Uh, and play well. So Utah, again, it seems like week in and week out, they're in a big game, and and this is another opportunity for Bryson Barnes. I think this comes at a, a better opportunity, a better time. There's less pressure for sure, uh, but he will get to go on the road and try and win another game. So I, I'm going to take Utah in a tight game. Uh, yeah, three for three, three road teams in Utah as well. And I mean, that's that's just the nature of the Pac-12 this season. Um, yeah. there, there's seven teams already bowl eligible through 10 weeks. Um, and you know, Colorado, Washington state could still find a way, but yeah, it's, it's a ridiculous league. Like you're, you're getting ranked matchups every week. And for some unfortunate teams, you're playing ranked teams four or five weeks in a row. Um, but if anyone is capable of handling that it's, it's Utah and kind of what Kyle Whittingham has built, um, over, his pretty lengthy tenure. Um, I, I think it's just him and Ference uh, that are the longest tenured guys in America. Um, so this is nothing new for them. They've been at the top of the conference. Arizona, it is a little bit new for them. They've had a, a great run. The wheels started to fall off a little bit, looked a little shakier against Colorado, who is obviously not a team that is going in the right direction. Um, yeah. So I, I like I like Utah to bounce back here. That's that's a That's a team that... Very hard to see them losing two weeks in a row. Yeah. And with that, we kind of get over into the realm of college basketball. We are one week into the season. Lots to react to. Lots to overreact to. Um, yes. But in fairness, not a ton of data points um, to go off of so far this season. So we'll go through some winners and losers, obviously, some things to talk about, but but not a ton so far. Um, I'll start with you. Of uh, just go through. I, I have a hunch, but uh, who who might be your your winner winners from the first week of the season? There are a couple obvious ones, as uh, as you mentioned. There, I'm going to go a little off the beaten path for more of the story than uh, than anything else. But Garrett Johnson over at George Washington uh, beats a rare type of cancer. At least finishes his treatment debuts. A couple months after that, over the summer, he went through the treatment. He debuted uh, earlier this week 
against, I believe, Stone Hill, uh, who George Washington played. 21 points on 8 of 10 shooting in his college career, uh, college debut, so credit to him. Really great story overall. Uh, and the the now revolutionaries, no longer the Colonials, I learned that today. Uh, George Washington, 2-0 to start the year. Yeah, um, it's the the 8-10 is going to be pretty interesting race this year. Um, Jamie Bishop and the rest of the uh, George Washington team is is going to uh, be a lot to deal with, but I, I kind yeah. of like what I've seen from the conference so far. Um, you know, teams like Duquesne, pretty feisty. We improved. If you can get kind of some of those traditionally bottom bottom tier teams to to be improving, as we saw from Fordham the last couple of years, um, it mm-hmm. it makes the the conference a lot more intriguing. Especially since the top half is not quite as strong in terms of fighting for at-large bids every season. So there, there is some opportunity there uh, for sure. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm going to go with uh, my winners, Dylan Jones. Also just Weaver state in general, but yeah, him specifically for really carrying that team 29 and 10 in a big win over St. Mary's team that many were picking to win the West coast conference. Of course, all these results Changed nothing in any of the conference races, but still worth pointing out. Um, is kind of a, a guy that's been on a lot of mid-major, low-major watch lists um, for good reason, and showing out in this way so early in the season um, over you know a top fifteen quality team in the country. Very impressive, hitting the ground running right away. Really good for me after I put a St. Mary's Final Four future in. Uh, hey. They lose immediately to Weber State. Started the championship DVD. Yeah. It's the, it's yeah. the, it's the early adversity. Exactly. Um, and then also kind of the big game of the week, Arizona-Duke Friday, Arizona getting that win. Um, and it's just kind of what they've been doing early in the season. They had a great non-conference stretch last year as well. Um, obviously, Tommy Lloyd very quick to downplay this post game because you know there's a lot of season to go. But uh, Keisha Johnson making an instant impact uh, transfer from San Diego State. Late game heroics, the go ahead bucket, finishing with 14 and eight. Ton of talent on this floor. Duke is you know a team we we think very highly of. Arizona in as well um, to be able to go in and and steal that one on the road is a a big resume booster and uh you know for as big as or as high as we were on Arizona they have still been trying to integrate a lot of new pieces so to kind of see that play out early in the season and have it be relatively seamless or you know win a game like this and be impressed and not immediately thinking it's like all right there's a lot of work to do here that's that's pretty refreshing and uh Speaks highly of Tommy Wood. Yeah, yeah, great win. This is the team that I mentioned last week that I really love. I think they they are national championship good. The biggest thing for me was the bench. They had uh, 16 points off the bench in this game, only went three deep, so tight rotation early against a, a good Duke team. They Duke's bench had five points, uh, and when you have a little bit of foul trouble, you know, Johnson, Ballow, Pell Larson, all with three fouls uh, throughout this game. They were able to go to the bench, spell their their starters, and and give them an opportunity to uh, to win this game. Krivas looked great. I, I really like the look of him off the 
the bench and on the interior. And then KJ Lewis and Bradley played well for, for Arizona. So really great win, obviously the win of the season thus far, but, uh, that's not, that's not saying a ton. Yeah. Um, any, uh, anyone else for you? I've got, I mean, evergreen statement, but I've always got way more losers. Yeah. Uh, James Madison has to get a shout out. Uh, okay. Obviously, the win at Michigan State is remarkable. The Dukes are now in the top 25 as we uh, record this. They dropped 113 against Kent State in one of the best games that I've seen in the early season in a long time, especially between mid-majors. Remarkable heroics on both ends of the floor. Uh, James James Madison overcomes a five-point deficit in less than four seconds to force overtime. Kent State hits a three to force double overtime, and then uh, the Dukes outlast them. And then 100 points again against Howard, uh, who played a pretty good game uh, against Georgia Tech, took him to the wire in that one before uh, they, they ended up losing. But James Madison, 3-0 and right now. They've got a number of guys that can do it, and they look to be a, a very dangerous team top of the Sun Belt uh, that can make some noise not to not to jump too high or overreact as uh, as is the the want to do this early in the season yeah i mean this is uh this is why the max sunbelt challenge was created uh for games yeah. like james madison and kent state um like two two of the the better mid-majors we thought coming into the year and absolutely delivered just absolutely Houdini like escape by James Madison. I know I was writing that off as a loss. It's like, uh, not a great look for Michigan state, but not, not entirely surprising going on the road. But, uh, yeah, Michigan state did not look great in that game. Uh, James Madison did. So that is very much an earned win, not at all a fluke. Um, so that that's going to be somebody to, to keep an eye on in the Sun Belts uh, for for much of the season, yeah. But That's it for winners, yeah. But uh, the Big Ten has not looked great, and this is this is a little early in the season to be having this discussion because normally the complaints are about tournament performance, but the tournament performance is a lot of times based on getting that many teams in. It's because the league does pretty darn well in non-conference um you see a lot of games every year like your michigan states beating duke teams like wisconsin beating teams like marquette illinois Mm -hmm. over texas um things like that indiana over whatever gavit games acc big 10 challenge they send to assembly hall um but we are we are not hitting the ground running we is the big time he'll use the royal we here we are hitting the ground and falling flat on our face um Michigan State losing to James Madison. Michigan State shoots one for 20 from three, and all of their returners do not look like they've improved at all. Pretty concerning, knowing Tom Izzo and how he prefers to very, very slowly work freshmen into the rotation. Rutger losing to Princeton. um, Just hilarious to me, but reflects poorly on the conference. Um, So It was awesome. Got to mention that. Uh, I mean... Ohio State struggling against Oakland and then, you know, dropping the game to A&M. No shame in that as a single yeah. data point. But, you know, Ohio State struggled against inferior competition. So is Illinois. So is Indiana. Um, and, you know, there there are a lot of things to work on in all of those programs. Maryland 
dead last challenge in the Asheville Championship, uh, losing to Davidson and UAB. Um, there's there's a lot that's not going well, and again, we are technically less than a week into the season as we are recording yeah. this. But yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's been rough. It has. I uh, I won't lie. The Princeton win was was lovely to watch. I will never apologize yeah. for loving that. Uh, Michigan State was a tough tough look, but Maryland has been atrocious, and I do not take take any joy in that because I do hold a special place in my heart for Kevin Willard uh, and what he did at Seton Hall. But that this, it is the exact same complaints. Like I am scrolling through Maryland Twitter and it is the exact same problems that he had at Seton Hall, just bubbling up again at Maryland. And the only difference is he has more talent and more money in the, the war chest to go get guys. So it's very confusing. It's very disheartening. If you are a Maryland fan, especially with how promising uh, year one went last season, um, my hope is that he's just getting the spoon out of the way early and can can pick things up in Big Ten play when there are undoubtedly a lot more opportunities to help your resume than hurt. But they are they were a team that was looking to compete in the top half of the Big Ten for sure, uh, and certainly a, a team that had NCAA tournament aspirations. And now they have two pretty bad data points against them that they need to go out and find wins to to overcome. Yeah, I I feel bad too that. Uh... Jordan Geronimo has already been scapegoated and removed from the mm-hmm. starting lineup. It's kind of surprised he was in there in the first place, but yeah, I'd like to see him get a shot. Um, yeah, it's I don't know. I, I don't. I, Maryland is another one I don't hate to see struggling early. Um, you know, Princeton over Rutgers. Shout out Caden Pierce, Glenbard West finest. Um, but yeah, Maryland's the the Derek Queen recruitment battle is heating up online. I don't know if he. <laughs> cares at all um yeah. but that's uh maryland fans just logging on and and tweeting things that riled me up um so yeah that uh that i didn't hate to see but yeah it's like you know sh- shooting is a legitimate concern there again yeah. it's like again don't tell andy Katz, but jameer young is not an efficient shooter um from the perimeter and it's like you need to build more than that around what still is a really good interior group of guys. Um, but, you know, Hakeem Hart transferring, that's that's going to be a, a loss that I think is, is harder to overcome than some might have anticipated. The freshmen are talented, but, yeah, it's just not a, not a great start to the season. And just there are – right now, who do you get excited about? Like yeah. Wisconsin, Michigan? I don't know. It's the last Maryland point is that Jahari Long has the fifth most minutes and he could barely sniff the court at Seton Hall. He is literally Kevin Willard's favorite player of all time for no reason whatsoever. And he plays so much more at Maryland than he played him at Seton Hall. Uh, so, yeah, so he's, he's basically Ethan Morton, it sounds like. Um, yes. I, I will say, I guess I'm forgetting Purdue. But again, you're giving big minutes to Ethan Morton. So it'll yeah, things will happen eventually. Um, and the the last one for me is just it's punching down, but I have to mention DePaul. You're just zero and two, losing to Purdue, Fort Wayne, and Long Beach State. It looks like the tournament drought might continue for another year. I yeah, so I like just like you, I had the bottom of the Big East, so punching at our own conference. Uh, yeah. DePaul was not competitive for a long time in this Long Beach State game. We were watching it, and it was a twenty plus point deficit in the first half, and DePaul 
did not even show up to the races. They looked horrible in this game. They've looked horrible to start this season uh, throughout. They have issues all up and down the roster. The talent-wise, it's just it's not there. Uh, and a guy like Deshaun Nelson, who they need to put up big numbers, is really struggling early in the year. I I don't know where they go to find consistency. Elijah Fisher is right now their best player coming off the bench. And Stubbs Stubbs needs to figure it out soon because he is uh he is working he is quickly walking his way out the door. And then you have Georgetown who loses at home to Holy Cross in Ed Cooley's second game. Just just a remarkable moment. Something that uh something that just really should never happen. But uh Georgetown with all the talent that Coach Ed has been able to bring in looks like they might struggle and struggle hard in, in year one. So really not a good look for the bottom of the Big East. Uh, a, a league that is supposed to be both deep and and good overall has looked at the, that part at the top of the conference, but the bottom has really not held up whatsoever. I watched that Georgetown Holy Cross game, and I just completely had forgotten that that happened. Um, but you know who hasn't? Providence fans. Yes. By watching that and just hooting and hollering. This January oh, yeah. cannot come soon enough. Um, I mean, they'd love to just play now, but it's right. there's, a, there's a small chance Georgetown might be improved by that time. Um, yeah, and I mean, really, really bottom of power conferences have, have not been great. Um, yeah. the, the other one I'd throw in there is just ACC. We, we knew... Notre Dame and Louisville would not be good, so this isn't necessarily shocking, but getting right. those early bye game losses out of the way. Um, but yeah, it's I I I like what I'm seeing from a lot of smaller schools so far. There's really not a lot to pick on in that regard. They've been pretty competitive against bigger schools. They've had some, I mean, even like you said, James Madison, Kent State, two two mid majors going at it, both could be tournament teams, and that was with the intensity yeah. of a tournament game the first week of the season. Um, just a, a random game happening at Kent State, uh, which was pretty awesome. Um, so, yeah, there's a there's a lot to be negative about, but at the same time, there's a lot to really like. Um, and you hope over the course of the season, a lot of the negatives will be kind of flushed out as, as different lineups start to adapt and figure out how to play together better. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that is it for us. Uh, we will be back next week uh, to talk about another exciting slate of, of both football and basketball. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you then.